Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Selling a little? Or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. As always, alongside the great man Steve Harmison for another busy show. We'll discuss the uh, big news that Ben Stokes has announced his retirement from ODI Cricket and ask whether the relentless schedule was at least partly to blame, or entirely to blame. As well as that, we'll look at England's series defeat in the ODIs and T20s against India and talk about whether England fans should be concerned ahead of next year's World Cup. Hampshire bowler Chris Wood will look back at an eventful and successful T20 finals day for Hampshire and will end the show by speaking with North Ant spinner Simon Kerrigan after they secured their first Division 1 win in 18 years. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, we start with Ben Stokes, inevitably, a man, Harmy, you know very well. Um, retiring from ODI cricket, I think it's fair to say that Nobody really saw that coming, um, well, apart from Ben himself and maybe a, a couple of close friends. Maybe you did, Harmy. Um, so he'll play his last ODI at his home ground, the Riverside, against South Africa, calling it a day after 104 ODIs, almost 3,000 runs, three centuries, 21 half centuries, 74 wickets, and, of course, a World Cup winner's medal. Were you shocked? Very. Simple answer. Yeah, very. I didn't see that coming. That was a bolt out of the blue. Am I surprised? No. Not one bit. I think the scheduling now is... I think Nasser Hussain's... He said it was a, it's a joke. And he's right. And I think it is. I think it is a joke. From from board's point of view, they just seem to want to put games in or they want to put tournaments in, in and around even more ICC events. I don't blame the ECB for once. I'm not off my long run ECB. I don't think it's their fault. I think it's the I think it's the fault of the ICC. We're playing another World Cup in October. We've got another World Cup um, in the early part of the the following year, 50 over World Cup, and something's got to give. Many times, manners I, I, I repeat myself all the time. You know, professional sportsmen, not just cricketers, footballers, and everything else that's going wrong with it. The top end, yes, they get paid the big bucks, but they're human beings. They're not robots. And unfortunately, something has to give. Ben's, oh, got, me, Ben's it, got kids, he's got family, and he's got a body which is... He's been asked to, to bat in the top four. He's been asked to bowl 
with everything he's got. He throws himself about in the field. You can't do that for the length of time and, and, and have the time aware. I actually think COVID has harmed a lot of mental, the mental side of a lot of these cricketers now. And I don't think he's going to be the last. I think there could be a, a big hitter from India who does it very, very soon, potentially after the after the World Cup. I, I can't see Virat Kohli playing beyond the next World Cup, and he need, he is in desperate need of a break. You can talk about the ICC, but um, you know the Josh Butler said uh, that three and a half hours in a coach between Old Trafford and the Riverside mm. is hardly ideal preparation. I mean, back to back ODI series against India and South Africa, six games squeezed into into eleven days does seem excessive to me. And my concern is, why is there not the facility available for Ben to say to whoever it is, I'm really not enjoying my one-day cricket at the moment. Could I take a break? Can I take a, a leave of absence from ODI cricket? Why did he have to retire? I mean... Just don't play the format for, for six months and then see how you feel in the couple of series before the, the World Cup in India. I think uh, I think a lot of it is, oh, I think it might be a little bit of protest. Is he protesting at the game, saying, I think we've got to get our house in order. We can't keep having these tournaments and having these competitions and then the bilateral series that goes with it. Something's got to give. But you also, if he, if he does that, man, is he picking, start picking and choosing games? Um, so people should pick and choose them for him. That's my point. Yeah, but then you're always. I think then there's always a there's a hangover of of the side always having Ben Stokes in the background, ready to come back in. Um, and it's when you come back in, and sometimes if you've got that option, you might bring it bring it in when you don't really sh- need to, you don't want to. You know, if England go and have a couple of bad ODIs and Ben Stokes is available, you're going to try and coerce him back into playing because we need somebody that balances the team out. You need him back in the top six. You need him to bowl his 10 overs. Uh, throw, like I said, throws himself around in the field. I just think, I don't think Ben wanted to retire. I, I've not spoke to Ben. I really haven't. And I, and it's, I've played, I've played golf this week with a couple of, I play golf today with a couple of, you know, three former England players who didn't know that Ben was going to retire until literally just before it came out, um, and they were as they were as shocked as as what we were, but we're also of a similar opinion that the schedule has got has got to change. It's not, I'm not saying it's not fit for purpose, but if you want the best and you want the creme de la creme to play. You can't have a system, uh, a schedule like we have. So from that point of view, yeah, it's disappointing. It really is disappointing that Ben's had to take this course of action, but he's now the England captain of Test Match Cricket. He is so important to that Test Match team. Now he is. We've played four Test Matches under Ben Stokes. Won all four games, played with a, a ridiculous mentality compared to what we had before. One win in 17. We've got to protect that. And if this means Ben plays, like Rob Key said, he plays 120 test matches because he's given up this, this little window in the calendar, then I think it's it's going to benefit not only Ben, but English cricket. And we've got to remember, he's not playing the 100 either as well. So he is making decisions now what's best for him. And if that's what's best for him, it's what's best for the England test match team. So Joss is still going to have him in 2020 cricket. I think there's a little bit of a protest here and a message to the ICC. To say you keep putting tournaments in like this, and the big stars, big stars might just not play. Well, let's hear what uh, 
David Bumble Lloyd had to say about uh, the the shock move a little earlier today. If you look at what he said, he said that I'm 31 years of age. He's 31. He is supremely fit. He's as fit as anybody that's playing sport. And he's saying that his body can't cope with it because of the scheduling and our demands, the demands that are put on us. That's in his statement. Mm. And I think he's saying it loud and clear. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's more say, and me too. I think I'll have a rest as well. And is that taking into consideration the fact that we've had two years where we're trying to cram so many fixtures that are held over from the COVID year into the calendar? Or is that just now the intense scheduling of the cricket calendar, which seems to be unrelenting? Yeah, it, it is the scheduling. And, and countries say, well, we'll come to you if you'll come to us. And we don't want to play this. We want to play that. We want to play more of this. So we want you to start at this time, not at that time. It's relentless cricket, one game after another. And it's a long day. That That is such a long day in the field. And it's mentally draining. And he's saying, I've had enough. Is this? It's not unprecedented because we have had a situation where the test captain doesn't play one day international cricket before. But for this to happen at this juncture, is this a huge breaking news story? Is this a huge statement being made by Ben Stokes on the way that cricket is organised? I think it's absolutely enormous. And I, I, I take your point that others have captained the team and not played in this. This is a gun player, the best player in the world, some would say. Mm. And he said, no, I've had enough. This body, 31-year-old, fit as... Can't do it anymore. That was Bumble, uh, David Lloyd, um, with his thoughts, which uh, pretty much echo ours. Not playing in the 100 will be a big blow to the ECB. To the ECB, to the Northern Superchargers, yeah. Obviously, they've got a new coach in, in James Foster, which I will be supporting them, not because I'm Northern, but he's the only <laughs> English coach that's in there. It's a huge blow to the ECB. Um, no Joffre Archer. Possibly have Mark Wood. You know, I'm thinking of box office players that won't be playing. Um, it's a big hit to the 100, especially when there's been a lot of talk about the Blast over the 100. And I actually think the Blast has, the blast has done very, very well and finals day didn't disappoint. So and there'll be a lot of pressure when it comes to the 100 on the 3rd of August to get it started and get it going. Is Ben not playing a little bit of a, a, little bit of a protest towards ECB? Possibly. You know, quite possibly thinking... If you're going to keep putting these games in, I'm going to pick and choose when I play. Um, I'm not sort of contractually bound, proper contractually bound, like a central contract, to play in the 100. I'm not going to play. So it might be a little protest in that as well, but that's just me thinking out loud. If I offered you a £5 bet that Ben would play another one-day international at some point in his career, would you take me on? Yes, I would take you on. I think I think there's a decision being made and I think he'll, I think he'll stick by it. Largely down to the fact that I think Ben Stokes will captain England, the England Test match team, for another four more years. And I think if he does that, he's 35, coming up to 36. I think then he'll cash his chips in and I don't think he'll play any more cricket. OK, um, another question. How does the ODI team replace him? And on the back of that, um, not only is uh, two of the big players, big leaders in Owen Morgan and Ben Stokes retired within a month of each other. That's two left-handers gone as well. Do you try and go like for like? It's very hard to replace Ben Stokes or, or I mean, do you, know, do you, do you automatically look for another all-rounder um, or do you, give, I don't know, James Vince, Phil Salt get their chance in the middle order? The one I want to, to stand up to the plate now, really stand up to the plate, and I've asked him for a couple of years now and he's had a little bit of an injury 
and he's not he's not Ben Stokes, um, but he is a left hand, and that would be Sam Curran. I think responsibility in this team goes to Liam Livingston to go from six to five, stand up and be counted and go higher up in the, the order. And I think Liam's got not only the ability, um, I think mentally as well in, in pressure situations, I think he's getting better and better at you know, reading the game situation over the longer format of the, the, the one-day game, uh, the 50-over game. So I think that would be a good thing for Liam. Um, and possibly Sam Curran to bat, Moen Ali to bat six, and Sam Curran to bat seven. And you've still got David Willey to come in at number eight. So you've still got a strong middle order. But put pressure on Sam Curran to be your all-rounder because he's got immense talent, immense potential. But we've been saying that for a few years now. It's now time for young Samuel to deliver. And I would, I would put him in at number seven as in, this, in the order to bat. Obviously, you'll get his eight, nine, ten overs out of him. And you've got Moen Ali at, at number six with David Willey at number eight. I think you could, that's how I would replace Ben Stokes in there and put a little bit more responsibility on Livingston to bat at number five. Yeah, I like that very much indeed. I think part of the problem, and uh, I think this role definition and job description can be overstated. I think players uh, do need to be able to uh, have some flexibility and adaptability to the requirements of the team. But I do think that Sam has been asked to do different jobs in different places at different times. So if you say, right, okay, you want a job description? You take Ben Stokes's place. Yeah, you take, but you, you, you don't take Ben's place. You're just given responsibility. You are now going to bat number seven and you're going to bowl first change, second change. And you are you are our all-rounder, along with Mo and Ali. You are our genuine all-rounder. And you put pressure on his batting, and obviously he bowls whatever overs you need him to bowl. Um, and I think, I think if you did that over a two-year period, I think you'll see Sam Curran flourish. And I think if he does that, England have got a, fun, England have got a superstar on their hands in Sam Curran. I just don't know how or which way England want to use him, or how they know. I don't even think they know how to use him. I think this retirement, for me, would just put some responsibility and say to young Sam, look, right, for the next two years, you're going to bat seven, and you're going to bowl whatever needs to be bowled in the game, as in the conditions, and we're going to back you. So now take some responsibility and go and get that place and own that shirt. And I think you will. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the one and only Steve Harmison. Right, let's uh, look back at uh, back-to-back series defeats for England against India. Losing both 2-1, how much relevance do they have? Um, My view, Harmy, is that England have got so much limited overs credit in the bank that um, you know they they can afford to to shed a few series, especially and matches, especially ones that don't have a great deal of context um, but losing um, can become as much of a habit as winning so uh, how how legitimate are concerns that uh, England's white ball form might be in not terminal decline but serious decline? Yeah I think it'd be concerning um, you, look, you look at areas where England did well Topley was a, a positive Jason never really got started if you go at the top Roy and Bairstow, but you've got to remember, you know, you've got Bairstow, you know, opening a bat and root at three, Stokes in in the top five. You've just come off an unbelievable high of playing four test matches, the way they've just done. The euphoria of that. I, I, I'm not worried, not a huge amount, 
worried, concerned a little bit, but not a huge amount worried because of what they've just come off the back of. And four test matches, I think there was a lot. The come down off the back of that high was would be would be enormous. And I think we've seen that a little bit. I thought Roy needed to step up. I thought Butler needed to step up, and they did. To be fair, Joss did in 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 sort of fits and starts. Concerned going forward would be the bowling attack because we have got very few bowlers fit at this moment in time. We showed that talking about spin bowling in this country, how much we have struggled in in getting to wicket-taking spinners from a, a test match point of view, but how reliant we are on Rashid and, and Mo and Ali in the shortest format of the game. And we've seen with no, Mo and, uh, with no Adel Rashid, I think it was glaringly obvious that we were we were one bowler short at all times. It's going to be different because we haven't got Owen Morgan. And I think Owen Morgan's mind will be hard to replace when it comes to decision-making. And I think Joss is going to grow into that role. But I would be worried going forward towards the World Cup about my bowling attack, but not really with a batting. Because I think you know Roy, Bairstow, Root, Livingston, Butler, Moe and Ali... I think that's as good as it's still as good as any any top six you'll have in world cricket, especially on the big stage in in a, in a tournament. My worry is who's going to bowl for us, especially in the subcontinent when we have got pierced through the air and we haven't got anybody fit. No Mark Wood, no Ollie Stone, no Jofra Archer. I'd be surprised if Archer's fit for the World Cup. He's not going to play this year, so I can't imagine him being ready for a World Cup. I thought Reese Topley was excellent. You know, he was really, really good. I thought David Willey was very, very good. Again, somebody who has had... You know, you've got to give this kid a huge amount of credit. You know, he's played a lot of cricket leading into 2019. Gets left out because we had to pick Joffre Archer. And you know, that we win the World Cup. Some people mentally would never recover from that. And he's come back. You know, he's, he took Yorkshire to finals, dear. He's had a, a wonderful series. So, you know, credit there. But... I think if everybody was fit, David Willey probably wouldn't make your make your start in eleven. So I still worry that the that the pierce through the air for the subcontinent, that could be where we are gonna be a little bit short in defending our World Cup. Talking of Joss Butler, he had an interesting thing to say about uh, his captaincy. I'm an experienced cricketer, but I'm a young captain, so I think it's it's uh, not worrying too much about that. I've got lots to learn, uh, lots to try and work out, and you know I'd need time and experience to do that. That was Josh Butler speaking to Sky Sports News. Interesting concept, that experienced cricketer, but young captain, um, and he says that he will improve and get better. I don't even know whether it's possible for you to define the qualities. They're almost indefinable, aren't they? The you know the quality that Owen Morgan had when he could just almost just look at a player, just look at a bowler and and inspire them and, and reassure them just his, his mere presence. And um, I don't think there's any doubt whatsoever that Josh Butler is the right man for the job. But he admits that, uh, you know, well, he didn't use the word... I will inherit Owen's aura, but but mm. but that's basically what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. And, and Owen wasn't look five years ago. Owen wasn't the he wasn't the captain. He 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 had to learn on the job. England were in an absolute shambles when <laughs> Owen Morgan got the job, and what he did was he believed in the people and the decisions he was making. He made them with you know with confidence. I, I always looked at Owen Morgan and Michael Vaughan very, very similar. You know, behind them glasses, there might be ri- 
ridiculous things going through his head. There might be, it might be going at a thousand mile an hour, but on the face of it, he looked calm. He looked, he was a cool customer. Michael was the same, and you know, he, he could have been panicking like anything underneath, but he never gave that off. And I think when you don't, when you when you have that aura about you, your players will go that little bit more because they believe that you are giving them the right information. You are you are backing them to the hilt. And I think you know there was a lot of there was a lot of gambles in in Owen Morgan's captaincy, um, and the same with Michael Vaughan. But they got better as the team got better, and I think Joss hopefully will do the same because he has got similar characteristics. He is a, a lot car. He is a very very calm you know, player. Character is is Joss, and he'll he'll get better the more he captains. So actually, these six games in a short space of time, and then he, to go again, you know, once he sits down at the end of it, the values what he's done and what he could do better, then he'll become a better captain, and he will. You know, I think he's a. You said he's the right. He's the obvious choice. I think he'll be a good captain. Quick word about India. Gee, they look a different team with a fit Hardik Pandya and. Um, and and Rishabh Pant when he's got his um, when he's got his grown up trousers on he's uh, he's amazing. He when he bats properly he's he is a proper player. Um, he is just something else. He is box office. He's brilliant to watch, brilliant to watch. And you're right, you know the missing link, you know, the the icing on the you know, the cherry on top of the the cake is Hartik Pandya. And if he stays fit from a 50 over World Cup point of view in their back garden. Put it this way, Manners, your £5 will be safer on India winning the World Cup than it would be on Ben Stokes playing another one-day international. Trust me, because Hartik Pandya, I think, is the difference between this side winning the World Cup and not winning the World Cup because the dynamic of the side will have to have to change, the balance. OK, um, you mentioned Reese Topley. Uh, six for 24 career-best figures uh, for England um, in his first game for his country at Lords was a very, very special moment. And um, his old man, the dear toppers, Don Topley, was speaking to us a little earlier. Yeah, you have to pinch yourself, don't you? I mean, it's not just an England uh, white ball bowler or ODI record. I think it's a left armers record around oh, the world as well. Wow. So, listen, yeah, he, he'll be dead chuffed. He doesn't get too excited about things like that. He would have, having been played his first game for England at Lords. That's a notable uh, achievement for him. He would have enjoyed that. But as, as he said in his interview, listen, like anyone, he is just so pleased to put on an England shirt and, and, and perform well. You know, that's, that's all you can ask him to do. He's very proud, but uh, he, he won't lose sight of what he's just got to do. So, listen, he's quite philosophical about it all. And it must be, it must be great for him to just look around. That I was just watching that you know him getting all those wickets and just every time it it cut to another utterly brilliant cricketer you know he's surrounded by absolute brilliance at the moment isn't he yeah and he knows that um and and to be honest what was what was quite special for us and afterwards he said go to the hotel and we'll have a drink we went to the hotel and he said where are you 
he said, well, get back in the cab. Come, we're going to stay in the dressing room. Yeah, and the boys, the boys stayed into the dressing room till quite late. And we were invited. So mum and dad were invited. And, and to be drinking with the likes of Stokes, Root, Butler, Bearstow. Listen, it was just lovely. It was a memory that mum and dad will never lose. Yeah, that's so great because we, we, I know what parents put on the line to get their kids to top-level sport. It's so much driving around and, and sacrifice, you know. And so to, yeah. for you to, to get him there yeah. and, you know, the ups and downs. It must be cricket's a tough world. It's a tough sport, mentally tough, physically tough, especially bowling. And, and to, 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 to get him there and for you to be able to be involved as well, what a moment. I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased for you. Yeah, thank you. Yes, we, we, we are very appreciative of that. And may I say, you know, there'll be cricketing families listening to, to this broadcast this morning. And those emotions that they experience, like you've just suggested, the taxiing, the making of teas, the, the worries when they bat, the worries when they bowl, the worries when there's a pressure situation yeah. in club cricket, those emotions you have as a parent, they are exactly the same whether you're playing an under-11s amateur game, a club cricket on a Saturday, or an international game at Lords. Those emotions Emotions are exactly the same. That was Reese Topley's father, Don, talking about uh, a very, very special and memorable occasion. Uh, very quickly, Harmy, I just want your thoughts on the South Africa series, the ODIs initially, because they played the T20s at the end. Yeah, it's going to be a good series. I think the bowl and attack will be different, but as I think as powerful as what India's was, I think if any anything for England to get at South Africa, it's their batting. I think England can you know really make inroads early at the top of the order with no Bavuma. But I think if if England go and get sort of par scores, the win games, but this this bowling unit I think can keep teams below par and I think that gives their batting a chance of winning games. Remember that Cajiso Rabada is rested for the ODIs, so that'll make a difference. Right, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Next up in part three, we'll look back at an eventful T20 blast final with Hampshire winning their third title with a thrilling win over Lancashire at Edgebaston. And we'll also speak live with Hampshire Hawks bowler Chris Wood. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
celebrations, there were high fives, they were cuddling each other, they were half lifting the trophy. But umpire Lloyd has to pull them back because it's a no ball. Ellis went with the slower ball, made up for that front foot no ball, and it is the Hampshire Hawks. Thankfully, it's the Hampshire Hawks that take it by just one run. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can always download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm delighted to say now that uh, we are joined by Chris Wood to look back on uh, a memorable finals day, Vitality Blast finals day. Which, which finals day isn't memorable? But a third winner's medal for you, Chris... Just terrific. I mean, uh, it must feel like a different lifetime back in 2010 when you won your first one. Um, Some people said that uh, the rescheduling might devalue the event, but gee, it didn't look like it. No, definitely that. It was, like I said, I've been very fortunate to be involved in in quite a few finals day and lucky to win it three times. But there's something really special about the, the finals day on Saturday. You know, we had the introduction of the 100 last year, which was incredibly successful. And people were potentially talking down the blast or... But to get there on finals day and have a full packed house and then four teams put on a show like that, it was it was sensational. And Nathan Ellis, you've got to talk about the last ball. <laughs> and he's, he's bowled a no ball, the fireworks have gone off, everyone's celebrating, and then he's got to regather and recompose himself to bowl it again. You had to find the stumps first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. You know, we were all celebrating up towards the Hollies. I remember actually, you know, ripping off stump out of the ground and running and we were jumping all over each other and... All of a sudden, you know, everybody's looked towards the screen and James Fuller's on his knees and Dawson's got his cap covering his eyes and I didn't really know what to do and I just had the stump and I kind of launched it back towards the wicket and then, <laughs> then we went again. <laughs> Talk me through what happened. You know, we get to we get to the final ball, Ellis runs in, bang, he bowls the no ball. You know, what was, because there was a bit of controversy. Um, then Villas wasn't, you know, you could see he, was, he wasn't happy at, you know, the ball, he thought the ball was still alive. Um, I still couldn't understand that Usain Bolt wouldn't have gotten down near the end for the second one, never mind anything else. But talk us what was happening on the pitch. Yeah, so it was all a bit bizarre, really. And when, in, in total honesty, at the time, I just thought the game was completely done. You know, and we went off and we went to celebrate again. But then we saw, you know, Vinci and Dane and a few of the umpires having a, a quite heated conversation. And at the, at the time, you just think, well, there was, like you said, there was no way Usain Bolt couldn't run to. But when you watch the footage back and then, Sort of the laws were coming out, and there was tweets left, right, and centre after the game. You know, should 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 they have won? Should we have won? Do you know? But we were in our own little bubble by then, and actually, it was announced that we were one, and no one was going to stop us from that moment onwards. You talk about you know, you mentioned about the euphoria of winning, and that's your your third trophy. You do play in the hundred, and obviously there's a lot of controversy about that as well, where where it fits in with the blast. But how have you found the blast this year? Because I still think it's there's still it's still a fantastic tournament. Yeah, well, I found it as competitive as ever. If I'm honest, I've been lucky to play this now for sort of twelve seasons, and it's as competitive as I ever remember it to be. You know, the overseas was was quality as ever. We had two sensational overseas this year, and they managed to play the whole tournament with us um, from start to finish. It was nice to have that continuity. It was a shame finals day didn't have you know the international stars. I know they released a few of the players, but it was a shame that they all couldn't be there. I think that would have made it a, an even bigger spectacle. Um, but yeah, I, I, for me, it wasn't devalued at all, certainly from the players this year. 
Hampshire lost the first four games um, of the campaign, so it was a very slow start, um, and everybody seemed uh, not to be performing at their best um, together. <laughs> so it was the wrong kind of coordination. Was there a sense of calmness? And I, I'm interested in you know the captaincy leadership of James Vince and and also his form. Um, were there doubts um, amongst the team after you losing your first four games? I think I'd be lying if I said there wasn't. You know, we we lost our fourth one on the bounce there at the Oval and when we sat down as a group and just sort of ironed out a few things. And we'd been there the season before. I think we needed to win five of our last six the season before to qualify. And then we got through on the on the last day by chasing down, I think, 180 and 13 overs. So it was kind of familiar situations, but it wasn't a situation we wanted to be in whatsoever. You know, we earmarked ourselves as having a, a seriously strong squad um, for the season ahead. But no one was in form um, at all in those first four games. It's quite a fickle game, T20. I think when you're on and you're all clicking, uh, it all seems to become, not easy is the wrong word, but it all kind of falls into place and you kind of find yourself thinking you can win from any situation, which was how it ended up. But those first four games, you know, it was tough. No one could find form. We couldn't get a win from anywhere. And like I said, we all sat down and we ironed it out and we just sort of said, look, looks like there's a lot of you know self-doubt and fear of fear of failure in this change room at the minute and from now on we're just going to go out there and we're going to play the cricket that we played to the back end of last year which got us to the finals day and something just clicked in that fifth game and then we didn't look back and James Vince and any other players you're particularly pleased for yeah well well Vincey's obviously a standout I think his leadership over the last couple of years on its own has been absolutely incredible but his numbers just keep stacking up and I know he's one of the leading run scorers in the blast history now, but he started off at three in the competition. I think he batted three for the first four games and he moved back up to opening the batting and it just took to a whole new level and he was just starting games for us and getting through the power play. He got a couple of hundreds in a few games. Um, so he was obviously clearly the standout going on to win the, the player of the tournament, but there was many players that stepped out throughout the whole campaign. I think we had three or four bowlers taking 20 wickets, five of us with economy of under eight and over. I think we ended up with the best economy bowling figures in the power play and at the death. Um, so there was a lot of people that stood out, but a, a huge mention to the two overseas players as well. You know, they came and they were probably two of the most hungry overseas players that I've ever had playing for us at Hampshire. You know, I think they've both got massive aspirations playing for Australia. They're both close to that now, probably. And they were just unbelievable, both on and, both on and off the field. Everybody loves uh, somebody who's successful closer to 40 than 30. Stephen Croft doesn't, uh, <laughs> hasn't lost anything, has he? Um, no, he hasn't. And he's still a serious player. You know, it was well, at times in that final day when him, him and Keaton were in, you know, it was starting to slip away for us for long periods of that game. And you're thinking, oh, no, now what's going to happen? We're going to need something special here. But as I talked about before, you know, just that belief that we had that we could win a game from any situation through halfway through that tournament, it just came to light again. And somebody who's a little bit younger than Crofty, um, Tom Prest, where's he going? Because I think there's <laughs> long with the young boy from the le- the leg spinner who was in the World World Cup under 19s, um, the young boy at um, at Warwickshire opening batsman. I think there's three or four players around the country now that come out that system, very very good. And you've got one on your on your doorstep. Yeah, exactly that. And I've been very lucky to sort of follow his development the last three or four years coming up through the academy. I watched him play a second team game, I think it was last year or the year before, and he reeled off 300 in a championship game. And there was earmarks in that innings of, you know, this player is going to be seriously good. And there was um, aspects of good red ball batting that, but also aspects of, of good white ball batting. And he went away with the World Cup and he'd come back and 
he'd progressed on again and, you know, he didn't get in the team early on in the year. And some people say that he probably should have done, uh, but he didn't. Um, but he came in and slotted at number three after the first four games, I believe. And he took to it like a duck to water. And, and I actually look at him and I was lucky enough to grow up through the academy and play with Vinci from sort of 15, 16. And there's an element of, you know, that kind of class player somewhere in there, you know, and he, the way he played on, on, on Saturday for someone of 19, I think he's the youngest player to get 50 in finals day history. But it's just such a calmness and aura. And he's kind of got those kind of Joss Butler type sort of wrists, the way he sort of puts them through the ball. And yeah, he's going to be seriously good. Chris, after the much publicised break in your career um, with your problems with, with gambling, are you still aware? Uh, sorry, are you still involved in, um, in gambling awareness? Yeah, so I have been doing some work now for a couple of years. Uh, I have actually put it down to, to concentrate on the season, Hampshire and, and the 100, but I hope to pick it back up in October. And yeah, it's something I really want to push, you know, the awareness around it. I think it's pretty evident to everybody now in society, a professional sport and wherever you look, that, that gambling is rife. And if I can go out there and spread my message and and hopefully um, help anybody that's struggling, or if it's just to deter someone to hopefully, you know, go down the route that I took, it is certainly something that gives me passion and I want to do. Final one from me. Every team has a sort of characteristic that uh, defines it. Hampshire seems to be never say die. Uh, you, you do seem to win some ridiculous games from ridiculous positions. Yeah, exactly that. And and more so than, than ever this year. You know, we used to have um, a collage of all the kind of players that spent a certain amount of time at Hampshire on the wall in the dining room. Um, and that got ripped down after the passing of Shane Warne. And up on the wall there went a picture of him and, you know, that... That quote of just never, ever give up. And we've kind of stuck by that this year. Um, I like to say we've kind of had a little bit of that in us uh, in the in the past, probably that was ingrained in him when he kind of left us in 208, 29, somewhere around then. I think it's kind of been ingrained. Uh, but certainly from this year onwards, it's and those those first four games to pass, that was certainly our mantra that we stuck by. Well, congratulations. Um, you've got a trio of medals now and uh, hopefully be a few more to come. Congratulations. Well done and enjoy the success. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, former number one bowler in the world, Steve Harmison. Now, amongst many stories to uh, talk about and to catch our attention in uh, the latest round of uh, county championship matches, Northamptonshire winning their first uh, Division One county fixture for 18 years and Simon Kerrigan taking a Fifer. Uh, 5 for 43, in fact, to bowl Kent out for 161 in the second innings to secure a 203-run win at Canterbury. And I'm delighted to say that uh, Simon Kerrigan joins us live on the line now. Um, well, good day out in the sun. Warm, I, I would imagine. Yeah, not as warm as, as this week's going to be. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a, a really good week and nice to get that, that win. And there was, you'd have thought that, with it being so long, 18 years, that the coaches would have been pointing it out throughout the season and seasons gone by. But the first we heard of it, that once we won, when they got word that it was 18 years, so pretty surprising, really. How do you feel about uh, the the subject that is spoken about a lot, your career sort of being in two halves with that uh, break in the middle? I mean, there, there's a, a lot of people who are still absolutely delighted to see you um, performing so well and so consistent, so consistently after that uh, after that break in the middle of your career? Yeah, well, I think the, the couple of years out did me well. I think I was burnt out at the time. I had quite a few years of trying to get it right and not really getting too far. And I think the time was right to have a little bit of a break. And then uh, the last sort of season and a half since I came back to North Ants that 
it went pretty well. But then sort of starting this year, I've struggled quite a bit this year. So finally getting some wickets and being able to help achieve a win for North Ants in the final innings is sort of something I'm really proud of. Simon, that, you, you mentioned that break that you had. When you go through sort of patches where you say, you know, you didn't get any wickets, because you've got something to draw back on, is that something that drives you and motivates you? Because I, look, during my career, I had you know huge ups and downs with you know different things. Brisbane was the biggest one. All people knocking at me, having a go at me. But I always believed that I was the best at what I did. Sometimes when you have a break, it, it refocuses the mind and channels it in a different way. Is that what is that what happened to you? Yeah, and I think, like you say, by having the sort of success you've had and you know you can achieve it, you can perform at, at the level you're trying to perform at at the start of the, the level, like professional level, that compared to sort of other bowlers, other cricketers who sort of who struggle at different parts in their career, if they've not had them sort of the highs in the career, it's not as easy to have that sort of maybe that motivation, that steel that and the sort of determination that you know you've got it in there, which obviously at times can be pretty tough. Because you know it's how frustrating that can be if you if you know you can perform and you're not quite reaching those levels. But ultimately, I think having that in there gives you that little bit more steel and stubbornness to just keep plodding along and keep sort of going, knowing that you're only one wicket away or one good spell away from it all clicking back in, back into place. Did you spend much time with sports psychologists? Did you? Um... Was it was it as much mental and physical? Your you know when you, your career went downhill. Initially, I didn't really think I was going to be. I sort of said, I've tried everything. I'm banging my head against the brick wall a little bit, and I felt pretty burnt out with it. But after a couple of months, it was pretty obvious that I, I love bowling. I love bowling spin. I love love cricket. I love the game, and ultimately that sort of came through a bit. And when I was sort of out of the game, professional game, I'd be sat down at my local club, I'd be bowling in the nets every day, I'd have a good routine going and bowling and working at it. And um, I always sort of picked the minds of coaches that I trusted and who I'd sort of had experience with and also trying to get a couple of fresh ideas from people who had a good reputation as well. Uh, who was is, who is an influence in that time? Because I, I know from experience, you certainly know who your friends are when you're, you are nearer, nearer the bottom than you are at the top. Um, was there anybody that you sort of you kept going to? You you kept sort of asking for advice, great sounding boards, sort of outside the family, to sort of say to you, look, you're a fantastic young bowler. You know, if you get a chance, you'll, you know, you you have got huge amount of talent. Yeah, there was like I said, multiple people, but people who stand out are well. When you're in around the professional game a lot, you sort of you lose touch with your mates who you grew up with a little bit as well. Mm. So just getting back with my mates and sort of seeing mates around cricket and just enjoying the game first and foremost was something that I was keen to do and then when I sort of knew that right, I want to give it another go then I was quick to get on the phone to Peter Moores who had worked uh, and also sort of my old uh, second team coach Chris Bembo as well who who's seen me all through my career and um, definitely those two sort of people stood out but then I also went sort of the outside voice of um, of Carl Crow as well who've got who's got a really good reputation working with spinners and especially Carl's sort of early reputation as a coach is working with spinners who struggled sort of action wise and sort of trying to fix them mechanically but it was clear to see after a couple of chats with him he knew sort of spin the mental side of spin bowling and so he was really good to talk to as well. Over the last couple of years Harmy and I have uh, referred 
affectionately to Northamptonshire as uh, like the Moneyball team, with uh, the uh, the old, the unloved, the 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 unwanted, the unlikely. Um, you're a, you're quite a bunch, and uh, well, actually, I think that was my nickname. Um, but Harmy goes along with it. Uh, it's a it's a terrific <laughs> squad, and and you do pick up some fabulous results. And you know, like Ryan Rickleton, he's he's a pretty unlikely overseas signing, but. Uh, He's a, he's put, he's put some numbers on the board. Um, Ricardo Vasconcelos, how how um, he's been having a hell of a season. What's the what's the vibe like in the in the change room? Yeah, obviously we're overjoyed with the the result of last week, and um, we've played some really tough cricket as a lot of the Division One counties are this year. Whether it's due to the pitches or the balls, it's it's been sort of a hard slog. So we've got ourselves into sort of positions where we could potentially win games cricket a couple of times this year. So like finally get over the line and get that win. Um, has been massive and like you say about our squad our squad's a very very talented talented squad and it's got the the mix of your experienced players like Ben Sanderson Gareth Berg who sort of you you know time in time out what you're going to get from them players and then it's got the, the young players coming through like you say with Ricardo and, and Emilio Gay who's having a, a really good run at things at the moment as well Ricardo's just stepped down as captain hasn't he yeah, so that was that was announced at the end. Well, towards it was announced at the end of um, the Kent game, and I think he sort of he felt that that sort of relieving himself as the, of the captain's duties will let him uh, focus a lot more on his batting. And um, he's only a young lad, and everyone knows what a sort of ter- terrific player he is. And you can see when, like from what I saw of him last year, when when he's on form, you've li- you've got that. I know he spoke about it with the Ricky Ponting A4 piece of paper. He's it's a very similar mould to that. If you if it's up, you're getting driven, and if it's a bit bit shorter than that, you get you're getting pulled over mid wicket. And Simon, what about English spinners? You've you've been sort of watching from afar. We've got two fantastic spinners in in the white ball game, but we seem to have really had a, a struggle to find a, a a consistent red ball spinner for for a while. One of your old clubs, Matt Parkinson at Lancashire. Looks as though England don't really want to give him a game for some reason, but it, it seems as though that discipline in, in in English cricket, especially in England, is is very very hard to fill. Yeah, um, I think I could be here for hours, sort of trying to <laughs> decipher why that is. But I think also you, if you look at the last sort of since sort of Swanee and Monty retired, mm. the numbers from our spinners aren't too dreadful. You've got someone like Moeen Ali who was a batter who has took, I guess it's over 200 test wickets in that time. And the balance that Moe gave us as a, as a test, as a tie, I think it's something not to really undervalue, really. And you look at someone like Jack Leach now, who's got the, got the mantle of the, of the frontline spinner, and he takes his wickets at 30, I think it is, in test cricket, which you're playing some absolute roads in test cricket against some really good batsmen. And as long as sort of you can see progression in Jack, I think it's something that you've got to sort of have courage with and have sort of have faith with. If you look at Nathan Lyon when he first came into the, the Australian side, and you look at his action and his numbers, he got panned all over India in his first series and they stuck with him. Now he's one of the greatest spinners that Australia have ever produced. Um, but then there's also like this sort of, you look at county cricket and this year has been a little bit different to that because the, the ball's been... Um, not offering as much nibble for the seamers and be getting soft quicker, which hasn't really helped the spin, but it means more spin overs get bowled. And I think, obviously, there's always sort of talk about the structure. <laughs> I'm a bit the other way with the county structure, saying that, obviously, I think the games need to reduce number-wise, but I don't, I don't see why 
can we not find ways to get five-day games into it to replicate test cricket and then bring the spinners in on day five with the footholds and stuff like that? So I think there are options there to to help produce and push sort of spinners who have to bowl under pressure in different situations. Well, you've got Rob Key's number. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have that much of a sway, though, in things. <laughs> well, it's brilliant to see you back in the wicket, Simon. Keep yeah, going. As I absolutely. said, there's an enormous amount of support for you. No, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. That was Northamptonshire left-arm spinner Simon Kerrigan. And uh, as I said, absolute delight to see him in the wickets once again and winning games. Right, we've got five minutes left, Hamid, to wrap up uh, business uh, from around the world and, and the other stories that may have caught your eye. Um, the big one, for me anyway, one of the big ones, Cricket South Africa deciding to forfeit three one-day internationals in Australia scheduled for the middle of January in order to have their best players available for their new domestic T20 competition, a tournament that has yet to be launched. So they're giving up the one-day series. They give up the possibility of 30 points in the World Cup Super League um, and it means their chances of qualifying automatically for the World Cup are now wafer thin. They have to reorganise two games against the Netherlands. They've got to get them back to South Africa and win them and uh, they have to win against India in India and they've somehow got to squeeze England in for three ODIs in January next year and win them as well. So they need to win 3-0 in in India, uh, 3-0 against England at home and try and get the Netherlands there. So basically, it looks like they'll be in the tournament pre-qualifier along with the likes of uh, no, Namibia and Scotland and Papua New Guinea and Oman and the UAE, which we played in Harare uh, in the middle of next year. Yeah, your five is not going on South Africa to get get to the World Cup, is it? Now, <laughs> I want to ask you why why have they done this? Because from an outside, and obviously you're in you're got your finger on the pulse in South African cricket. From the outside, I'm looking at this and going, it's a bit hypocritical because when COVID hit, South Africa were going to the wall. They were going. If India didn't go, or if England didn't go, South African cricket was gone. Can they justify pulling out of a tour? to sort of protect something something else? Is it, not, is it not, well, hold on, we've we've come to you to keep cricket going in your back garden. Uh, I don't know. Am I, am I putting two and two together and getting five? Do, do South Africa, should South Africa really be going to Australia? Because, you know, when South Africa needed teams to go there to keep the wind, to, you know, to keep the lights on, well, teams went. Australia didn't go. Australia pulled yeah. out of a three-match test series um look homie it is financial um it's completely financial and cricket south africa aren't going to say we are a couple of pounds away from bankruptcy um they're not going to say that so they've sold this new tournament they have to find ways of of raising money um outside of bilateral series and icc income they've got a six team franchise tournament which is about to be launched in january at least three and as many as five of the six franchise owners are IPL linked, either directly or indirectly. They're going to be investing hundreds of millions of dollars between them, which will provide Cricket South Africa with a revenue stream which will keep the professional game alive in that country. And they've basically been told, we want the best players. We want Rabada and David Miller and, and Temba Bavuma, and we want all the best players in our franchises. We want them in the competition, otherwise it devalues it. And uh, so, basically, Cricket South Africa may be a majority shareholder in this new tournament, but that's absolutely meaningless because mm. they don't have any money. 
So the franchise owners said, right, okay, we, you want us to buy franchises for $5 million each? Well, these are our terms and conditions. Cricket South Africa have no choice. Yeah, I don't no believe way. they have a choice. No way. Overseas? Are they going to be having overseas players? Or Well, they've got the... There's another T20 tournament starting in the UAE, UAE isn't there? Um, mm. uh, so at the same time, also in January, they're going to have two or three times the budget that Cricket South Africa are, are going to have. Uh, so, yes, there will be overseas pr- players, but um, I'm not sure how many of the big names, uh, the bums-on-seats type players that they'll get. So it, it's a very, very sad state of affairs. Um, and I've seen a draft copy of the new Future Tours programme from the ICC. And let me just tell you that South Africa have pencilled in that uh, tournament, that qualifying tournament with uh, the, the smaller nations. So they, yeah, they, they, they know they're they, going. Yeah, 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 they know they're going. <laughs> well, it's not far. It's not as though they're going to the other side of the world. They're going over, <laughs> a little over to Harare. So it's it's not that far, but still, it'll be. Look, West Indies did it, didn't it? And the West Indies had a they had a bit of a struggle. So that future tours program, if it is what we believe it is, after it was leaked this week, put it this way. Ben Stokes retiring today, I think that's the start for a lot of players basically saying, if you don't sort of change this, if you don't adhere to the fact that we are, you know, we, you're burning us out, then I think you'll see some talking about bums on seats, some big hitting bums on seat characters not be involved in all international cricket. And that would be a real shame. Okay, and final confirmation that uh, the second T20 World Cup qualifying tournament was completed also in Harare in Zimbabwe, uh, with um, uh, Zimbabwe the hosts and the Netherlands meeting in the final, which meant they qualified for the first round of the T20 World Cup. And by the way, that includes the West Indies um, and Sri Lanka. So that Group A is Ireland, Zimbabwe, Scotland, West Indies, and Group B, Netherlands, Sri Lanka, Namibia and UAE. So that'll be the first round of the T20 World Cup, and they'll be joined by uh, the pre-qualifiers. So, um, yeah, uh, it's all happening. It's been another busy show and another busy week. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Harmy, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the one and only Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app, as always, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week to look back at England's ODI series against South Africa But that's it for this week. You've been listening to The Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2. Hold that, please. Level 5, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.